We gather together on this third Sunday of the Advent season, and for those who will worship later, the scripture lessons in our midst this morning are from the Old Testament prophet Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 through 20, Psalm 85, verses 1 through 6, <clears throat> the New Testament epistle to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, and Luke's gospel, chapter 3, Verses 7 through 18. Have you ever noticed that people like John the Baptist and some of the prophets get all of the really good lines in the Bible? (laughs) Sort of like when Nathan the prophet confronts King David after David has sinned grievously and says to David, You are the man. Or sort of like when the prophet Amos says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And here, today, in our gospel, John the Baptist completely disregards all of the preaching manuals on sermon introductions and launches into his sermon here at the Jordan River by saying to the people, good morning, you brood of vipers, you snakes, you. John and the prophets and their ilk seem to get all of the good lines, but they also pay for them. In John's case, shortly after his message here, he is put in prison, And then we all know that he eventually has his head chopped off in martyrdom. And so, I don't know about you, it is very puzzling to me that Luke tells us here that John's message is a message of good news. It sort of stops you in your tracks and makes you think. Just how is his message good news? How is being called a snake and a viper good news? How how is being told that you are poised for judgment good news? How, How is being told that an approaching unquenchable baptism of fire is good news? I mean, if all of this is good news, what must the bad news sound like? I'm not sure I really want to know. (laughs) But Luke tells us clearly and unmistakably here that John's message here is good news. The news that costs John his life is good. And it's not just the content of his message. It is the bizarre manner in which John delivers it that we just can't ignore. Here is a loud, abrasive, obnoxious guy dressed like he is the prophet Elijah returned from the dead. I mean, it's the whole experience. John is a loud intrusion onto the scene. He has this crazy sort of charisma about him. And he's confronting people with images of an axe laid at the root of the tree and of unquenchable fire that is ready to lick up every piece of chaff. He's loud 
and he's unorthodox. He is compelling, and his message is urgent. So much so that folks, Luke says, folks begin to wonder whether he might actually be the Messiah, the one that everybody is longing for. To which John says, you think I'm a bit extreme? You think I'm a bit over the top? You actually think I might be the one? You ain't seen nothing yet. You have absolutely no idea what you are in for. I'm using water, but when he comes, you're going to experience a baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You have no idea what's coming. (laughs) Every year at this time, every year at this time, we have to deal with John. And every year, it's the same thing. He makes us uncomfortable. If he doesn't, then there's something wrong. He makes us uncomfortable. It's, it's kind of hard to relate to him, a bit hard to identify with him. He looks and sounds a bit too much like a religious fanatic, like he's taken leave of his senses. John makes me uncomfortable. I will admit it right off. And so what do I do? I try to domesticate him. I try to tame him down just a little bit. I try to rub down and smooth over the hard edges. I try to take John and his really loud intrusion, and I try to turn down the volume so that it's more pleasing to the ear. John is a loud trumpet blast, but I prefer to make him into a clarinet. I struggle to make peace with him and with the message that he brings. I struggle to see how his message is a message of good news. But here is precisely maybe where this text wants to break through to us as good news this morning. You know, it occurred to me this week that if you live in a world of darkness long enough, you begin to adjust and to acclimate and to get used to it. If you live a lie long enough, you begin to make peace with that lie because it is familiar. It is what you know. Deep down, you long for the truth because you know that the truth could set you free, but the transformation that the truth brings is fraught with uncertainty and it demands great faith. Conversely, when you make peace with the lie and the darkness, at least you know what you have. Could it be that the reason that John shouts so loudly at me on this third Sunday of Advent is because John is trying to warn me not to make peace with the brokenness and the sin in my life? Yeah, John seems to go off the deep end here because he knows how easy it can be for me to adjust myself to the darkness all around me and within me until I accept it as normal. And John's message to me is that Christ 
comes to disturb that. He brings with him the fire of God's love, a fire that purges and refines and cleanses. In a world filled with voices that are competing for our attention and our time, John loudly intrudes onto the scene this morning. He loudly intrudes onto this quiet gathering, and he says to us, do not make peace with what will be consumed by fire. And there is only one word fit to describe that kind of message. Only one word fit to describe that kind of news. And the word is good. And there is more good news in this text. John's call to repent here is proof that God is gracious and merciful, that there is forgiveness with him, that there are second chances with him. This broken, sinful world is being overturned. God is overturning this broken and sinful world by changing people, by changing their hearts and their lives. And the fact that we are summoned and challenged and invited to repent and to turn our lives in God's direction is a sign of how very much God loves us. It is good news. It's interesting to me some of the specific folks here who Luke lists as being part of the large crowds that come out to John. They include soldiers and tax collectors. Now, <laughs> soldiers and tax collectors in that day, these were people who were often complicit in a very oppressive system. They were especially hated. If anyone in this crowd would have had a target on their backs, it would have been tax collectors and soldiers. But God is gracious and merciful. <laughs> The world, the way it is, brothers and sisters, the world, the way that it is, shall not always be the way that it is. Things are being turned upside down. This broken world of injustice and oppression is going to burn, John says. But the fire only consumes those who are not prepared. And God, in his mercy and in his love, invites all people to repent, to change, to turn, to prepare. And he sends us, then, this over-the-top religious fanatic named John, who says to us, do not get comfortable with the darkness all around you. Do not make peace with your sin and your brokenness. Do not get too accustomed to the way things are. John comes and he screams at us and says, do not make peace with the status quo. Stop living for yourself. People all wrapped up in themselves make very small packages. The world is being turned upside down. A new king is bringing in a new kingdom. Open your eyes of faith and see it. Change the direction of your life. Give your life away for Christ and for others.
Admittedly, John is a bit loud and obnoxious. He's most definitely a bit unorthodox. But perhaps that only serves to heighten the urgency of his message. As we come to the Lord's table this morning on this third Sunday of Advent, let us come with faith and with gratitude. Because God loves us so much that he sends us a man like John to get us ready for a man named Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.